Apple presents Meet the Musicians at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guests, Coheed and Cambria. Welcome. I'm joined here on stage by singer-guitarist Claudio Sanchez, founding guitarist Travis Stever, brand new bassist Zach Cooper. That's right. Give it up for Zach. And, yes, absolutely. That's for you. And back after two records, we've got drummer Josh Eppard. Yes. So You're too kind. All, Thank you. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to be here. We're going to have a really good time tonight. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, I know he's been super busy. You guys were at Comic-Con earlier, right? Yes. I, I see some people were there. Awesome. <laughs> there is no chance the gentleman in the Bane mask was there today, though. That's <laughs> zero, right? Um, what was that like? Did you guys have fun? Oh, a lot of fun. Yeah, actually, uh, yesterday was the first time we incorporated the band's presence in Comic-Con since 2004 in San Diego, so... Uh, it was a really enthusiastic uh, experience. I mean, certainly from the fans, it was awesome. Is there a different vibe when you get together with your fans at something like, say, Comic-Con versus like at one of your shows, or? Um, yeah, I guess just because it's, it's more of a one-on-one -on -one sort of experience. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's just a chance for me to say thank you, you know, to the fans that are totally invest in, in all of what we do, the music and the concept, so. Here's a real question, do you guys dress up? Um, I do. Actually, this year is the first year I went as, uh, this. What this is. I what don't know what it is just yet. I'm trying to figure it out, but... I like it. <laughs> We're going to call it Rock Chic. <laughs> That's what that is. It's awesome. Uh, well, cool. I want to talk a little bit real quick. The word epic kind of gets thrown about a lot in our culture these days. Uh, somebody makes a reasonably large omelet, puts it on Instagram, calls it epic, <laughs> right? But I think what you guys are doing, not to discredit the omelet, uh, what you guys are doing is truly epic, I think. Uh, and what I'm talking about, of course, is the, uh, the Amory Wars, right? So, yes, absolutely. So this is something really cool, of course. Uh, it's a narrative spun across uh, your five previous studio albums. Uh, two million copies, by the way, in the United States alone sold already. Yes, huge deal. And truly, this is a, a, a good versus evil sci-fi science fiction epic, right? So my question is, what inspired you to write your albums as one continuous story rather than self-contained stories? Well, when I started writing lyrics for, for the band I was in at the time, I was actually 18 years old when I became the singer frontman. Uh, I found that I had a hard time confessing myself in the lyrics, you know, singing songs about me. Um, but that was my release. So I kind of created this piece of fiction to essentially act as kind of a curtain to hide behind. And when I created the idea of Coheed, because I'd done that so much, um, I decided, well, why not kind of, you know, create this, this thread that sort of goes through all of the records, you know, connects them all together, so. So, Obviously, a huge epic tale. I want to talk a lot about uh, the most recent entry, and then when we open it up to Q&A, if you guys want to really dig deep, there's a lot of source material to go through there. But talking about this, uh, you guys are in the studio nine months, right, for this, and you come out, and we have The Afterman. Ascension, which is out now. Who has the new one, by the way? Who has, who's heard it? Yeah. Perfect. So this is part one. We're going to get part two in February, I believe, and that's going to be called Descension. 
Uh, talk to us a little bit the concept uh, for the Afterman. Okay. Well, uh, the pre-existing Coheed records are essentially the story of Coheed and Cambria, and that has been concluded with the prequel story of Year of the Black Rainbow, which was the last record. Now we're on to the Afterman, which is sort of the prequel to that, where we actually find out the origins of the Afterman, who is Cyrus Amory, the namesake of the mythology. And Ascension is actually, uh, literally, he ascends to the keywork and finds out what its value is and relationship is to the 78 planets of Heaven's Fence. Um, you know, so he finds out it's not exactly what he, he thought it was in his theories. So uh, dissension is actually, you know, he returns to Planetside and finds in his absence, because he's been away for about a year and a half, um, that basically his, his personal life has kind of fallen apart. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of that. So where do, where do these stories come from? What's the inspiration or, or sort of the catalyst, if you will, for the story of The Afterman? Well, for me, this record, I mean, we started writing this record about two years ago. Um, and at the time, you know, we didn't have a label, so we, and we wanted to take some time off. We had done a whole lot of touring, so it was just like, I just started writing to write. There was no, uh, there was no concept. Uh, so basically just started writing things about the stuff I had been experiencing at that moment in time. And, and uh, when I was finished with with the material, I kind of st started to see the thread, and the concept started to kind of present itself. Certainly, with a song like "The Afterman," um, you know, that's when I, I realized what the concept was going to be about. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the the process and, and sort of where these all come from. Nine months working on this album. Do you conceive of the entire story and then go back to these guys? Is it a collaborative process? Do these guys get input on the story? Sort of, sort of. How does that look? What's that process like? Would you like to answer that one? Uh, well, as far as the recording specifically, uh, you know, it's always different, especially with this record. We recorded this record differently than any record that I ever did with Coheed and Cambria and any record I ever did in my life. So we would kind of take a small batch of songs and focus in on those songs as opposed to the way that we had done records in the past. Uh, and I think a lot of bands, they say, you know, two to three weeks, we'll do the drums, and then we do the bass, and then but we broke it up. We would do three songs and take the time. We would go to Claudio's house, the big beige, and, and we would uh, sit in his basement and really learn the songs. And by doing that, it allowed us, from, a, from the musical side, um, to kind of hone in on these songs. You, didn't, you weren't weighted down with, you know, having to get 12 more songs in the next eight days. You know, we did three songs, and then we moved on to the bass. And I, I think it allowed for us... Uh, just to, to really focus and to give the songs the attention that they deserve. And that was one of the things that really stuck out about Afterman. Uh, it was different for me. It was different for us. But as with most good ideas, I said to myself, why didn't we do every record like this? I don't know if that answers your question entirely, but that is what that was the process of the recording. So Cool. Uh, Zach, so you walk into this. Uh, the uh, bands you've played with in the past, I imagine... Every song they wrote was just as epic, of course, right? So this was this was old hat, right? Oh, oh, for sure, yeah. It's Talk a little bit about that for us. What was that like walking into Coheed and Cambria? It was really intimidating, actually, because uh, I was a fan of the band for years before. Um, so <clears throat> basically, I kind of came in when the recording process, I guess, started, or around the time it started, and... Uh, um, it, was, it was a really unique experience for me coming in, auditioning on new songs, songs that I'd never heard before, um, recording songs that I'd never heard before, you know, 
kind of coming in, just, I just kind of got thrown into the mix pretty quick. And the whole time I was there, I was still working a full-time job. <laughs> so I would, I would come up to the studio for like a day a week, and then it was like two days a week, and then I started coming up more frequently as, as things were kind of moving along. So it was, it was a really awesome experience. So, Claudio, uh, I have a quote here, which means you definitely said this. Oh, God. Yep. Uh, no, it's okay. It says, with all our older albums, my thing was always figuring out how to fit my life into the Amory Wars concept. Uh, I knew where each one set in terms of the story. So what's different about this album? Well, with the previous records, I always had, like, d like I always knew what story I was going to tell within the Amory Wars saga. So, essentially, I had the dots, you know? And the songs would basically connect them. So I would figure out ways to take my life and kind of use that to motivate the characters, you know, give them, you know, purpose with, you know, something that's very personal to me. Um, you know, this record didn't have, I didn't have the dots, so to speak, you know. Um, I just kind of started writing, you know, things that just kind of inspired me at the moment. And I think, I think for those fans that are going to be participating in the deluxe edition, they're going to get to see kind of that process because, you know, with the lyrics, there are, um, there's like kind of what the song was inspired by in terms of my experience and then how that sort of translates into the concept, the story of Cyrus Amory. So there are sort of direct connections to certain things. So uh, I think that's going to make for a very cool experience. But this time around, I just kind of, I kind of let myself be the concept. And it's kind of cool because in a way, I see more of myself in Cyrus Amory than I have ever with any of the other Coheed characters um, from you know, the pre-existing parts of the story. Right, so for those who don't know the entire tale, I'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything, but Cyrus, um, basically he goes on a journey uh, and makes arguably the greatest scientific discovery ever known, uh, but then the death of his wife upon his return causes him to realize what was truly important, and uh, his only mission now is to make amends. So I guess uh, after hearing you say these are deeply personal things that you draw upon, what, what's wh where can you say the inspiration for this character kind of came from? Well, it was definitely from the song the afterman uh you know the afterman was actually experience my wife had um we had taken a trip to florida for a minute and we decided to go out on a boat one day and our cell reception was pretty poor and when we returned home she f discovered that someone really important in her life had passed away on facebook you know so so it was just kind of that i'd never really experienced anyone go through something like that so so that kind of was the catalyst to what the story would be for Cyrus, um, you know, and that song actually has almost some direct quotes that my wife had actually said to me while going through that grieving period. I mean, that whole bridge, you know, uh, your selfishness has robbed you of the man you could have been. I wouldn't change a thing about you. I love you dearly, my friend. We were in the car when she said that one day. You know, she was just kind of thinking about, you know, what she might have said to him or, um, but uh, but the big question is, is, you know, for Cyrus and discovering the key work, it's uh, it's very much about loss, you know, and and yeah. So no question, deeply personal, and um, I guess one thing I was wondering, there's a lot of fans out there that sort of know this lineage and know these stories inside out and then some of them I was talking to that actually they just love the music they had no idea that there was such a, a deep connection through all of it they just enjoy you know listening to the songs is there from your perspective do you have a preference like do you want to if you could encourage everyone no really listen or you uh, no if you just enjoy the music that's good I dig it that's okay like wh where do you where do you stand on that how do you feel about yeah, that yeah I mean I'm I'm you know 
it's really in the uh, in the eyes of of or in the ears of uh, you know the listener how they want to experience this. You know, this concept is really there as a as an option if you want the uh, the material to live off of the CDs or the vinyl or the tape. You know, um, you know, it's really entirely up to the listener. So I encourage however you know you want to experience it. I'm a I mean. Yeah, I'm a fan of it all, so it's cool with me. <laughs> so. Josh, back after two records. How's it feel to be back? It feels wonderful. Well, uh, was it pretty much like... <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on. Good. It does. Well, nope. I'll check that off. We'll keep going. Um, but uh, was, there, was it pretty much like walking back in to... Just like, walking in with a bunch of old friends again and just picking right back up? Was there an adjustment period? What, what was it like just coming back in after the two records? Two records, you know, a long time, yeah. uh, you know, almost five years. That's a long time. That's, it was. As soon as we played together, uh, it was still there. I don't want to, you know, come off as, like, cocky or anything, but it was, there was something there, and there was, you know, you can't really put, you know, a price on, or you can't really uh, put your finger on what it is when you, when you live in a van together and you play every night and you grow up together, and there's just this thing that lives in our internal meters or something about the way we play. It, this didn't have to work. There's plenty of guys that played together for a long time and then played with somebody else and when they came back together, it didn't work. So I was so ecstatic and relieved, not only to be playing music and to look over and, and see Claudio and Travis, but uh, to be back in, in my band and to be you know home again where, where I belong. Awesome. Um, so the album, the recent one, self-produced with Michael Birnbaum and Chris Bittner, who, incidentally, they helmed the first three albums, right? Cool. So what was sort of the uh, reason going back there uh, with Michael and Chris for this record? Where did that come from? Um, well, for me, I mean, I'm now 34 years old, and, and the last two records we had done in L.A., and I kind of wanted to be home for this one. And Woodstock is only about an hour from where I'm living now. And I also wanted the option to go back to the beige, you know, my, my home and, and rehearse the songs with the guys and, and work on the segues that would glue the songs together. And, you know, the I beige wanted... played a huge role in this record. I think sometimes it gets overlooked with all the, the talk about the studio. I mean, we did, you know, I wouldn't say most of the work, but certainly a lot of the work, you know, in Claudio's basement and in his little studio upstairs. Um, I mean, it was definitely a crucial part of Aftermath, so. Yeah. So, obviously, very near and dear. What is, if we go through the whole thing, I know this is like asking you to pick a favorite child, but what's your proudest moment on the record, if you can think of like? Oh, no. <laughs> I want to go down. I want to hear everybody say it. Okay. Can I go last? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I would, th for me, there's many, but uh, I think Avagria, The Faithful, is a song that showed... It felt adult to me. I mean, we were trying to accomplish something. We don't, you know, I don't, I don't think any band, you know, just wants to, I don't know what the saying is, rest on their laurels or whatever it is. But, yeah. you know, we were pushing ourselves to do something that was a little bit more, I don't know, adult contemporary, m more Peter Gabriel. And I just thought that we nailed it. And it's one of my favorite Coheed songs ever. And every time it comes on, I like it more. And I'm just really super proud of it. And I think it's just a tremendous song. And that's just one of many moments on the record, though. But... Me? I mean, since we're, I guess we're, we'd just be talking about Ascension, right? So then, so then I, yeah, Vagria would, I, I honestly would have to agree with that. 
because it is, it's just, it's just definitely a step out of the box for the band in general. I mean, I remember when Claudio first wrote the song, I, it was, it was apparent how different it was from, from the moment I heard it. Um, but then, you know, where we took it after that was just, you know, just kept getting further and further from what we had done before. And, uh, that's why I'm in love with it. Cause you know, it's just something completely different. I feel the same way about Vagria. Oh, I'm not man. gonna lie. Sure. Just seemed like a bunch when, of sheep. when I when when I went in and uh, and heard it for the first time, it kind of took me by surprise. It was it was a, a felt like a really uh, far leap from from what I would would have expected to hear from from these guys, which I guess is kind of a silly thing to expect anything, but but uh, it was it was definitely um, you could hear it was a. Uh, just like a risky, maybe I don't know if risk is a good. No, term, that's I think that's great. You it know was. what I mean? Like it, it was so far removed from from a lot of the other material that, um, and it was a real treat to to play on and everything. Claudia. Okay, so I'm gonna have to pick something else because you know we're trying to sell a record here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, uh, but uh, um, I but no, truthfully, I mean I'm I'm gonna go with Afterman because. Uh, you know, for me, I, I recorded a lot of those elements on the road. The vocal was recorded in a bullet mic, like in Florida somewhere. The guitars were recorded with like a miniature pod. You know, these are sounds that, you know, you don't really equate to like these full-on productions, you know. And, uh, and the vibe was so great in those demos. It was captured so well that it was like, if it's, you know, that saying, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know, I thought that was like really special that we decided, you know what, this is good, let's keep this. And then we put everything else around it. And I think that creates a very interesting dimension for that song, you know, where these these elements were recorded at one time, but then the drums and bass and some and John Modesky playing the uh, the keys, it's just like it just added a completely different dimension. I feel like that song sort of kind of sticks out and and is uh yeah. We're gonna throw it over to you guys in just a second, but I wanna talk a little bit about the future ahead. So we talk about how epic the story's been. There's a really cool thing that I saw recently. Mark Wahlberg announced that he and Steven Levinson of Leverage Productions are going to turn the Emory Wars into a big screen live action feature film, which, yeah. So cool. So um, what can you tell us about this, if anything? Nothing. Uh, no. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I mean, really, it's just a, a partnership between uh, the property, the Amory Wars, and, and the production company, company Leverage. I mean, right now, it's just, it's really just that, you know, um, so, uh, but I'm really, really excited, so we'll see. Coheed and Cambria Film Score, perhaps? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. You know, I like to think of, you know, this is like the perfect world scenario, that, that the music on the albums would get... Uh, you know, transcribed and adapted to full-on orchestrations. But like Stan Lee does with the Marvel movies and kind of has his little cameo, to me, I would like for the actual band versions to kind of maybe poke in as a cameo. Like, That's really cool. Know, so. And then you could like be a guy in a phone booth too. Like you could do like the Stan Lee thing, literally. Totally. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So let's open it up, guys. Raise your hands. We got people on either side. They'll come over to you and we'll uh, take some questions from the audience. So we're going to do over here in the left, second row. So the art in the uh, new album, you know, I looked at the book, I looked at all the pictures, and I think it's clear that you guys are trying to bring the art and visualize each song. So I'm curious who's responsible for, you know, bringing that visualization to the fans. 
Well, I think when, you know, when we were talking about the deluxe edition, because the deluxe edition actually has like the full pieces, um, you know, it was just something that, you know, with the last record, with Black Rainbow, we did the 352-page prose novel. And that was a little bit of, a, of an endeavor. And I didn't want to have, I wanted these things to kind of be together, if that makes any sense, almost like a song by song of what they mean in the story. But I also wanted to have some visual that would accompany it in a more surrealistic fashion so it kind of feels a little perplexing, you know, as opposed to just kind of giving you everything literally. You know, some sort of companion that, that kind of like, takes everything and makes it sort of off kilter, but you can sort of see the relationship between the visual and, and, and the text. Um, I mean, it was just something we wanted to do. We wanted to give uh, an experience to each song as opposed to like dividing the two and here's your book, here's your music. Like, let's just kind of, let's put them together. Let's make it all gel and work in a, in a really interesting way, so. Stage, right? Do you plan to re-release the Year of the Black Rainbow book? Not at the moment, but maybe. I mean, right now we're actually working on a prose adaptation of Second Stage. So uh, it's taking a little while, but, but, uh, but I guess in, in releasing that, then maybe we will. Um, it's not something that's like kind of at the foreground, but it makes sense that maybe we should, so. Front row in the center. Um, I actually wanted to know if Tuesday's show was like initiation for Josh because everybody just kept flying towards you guys. You mean Zach? I mean, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was staring at you and I'm thinking, sorry. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> you, you looked awesome, by the way. Maybe that's why you're so pumped. But was that like initiation for Zach? What? How, I, how, how do you feel about the crowd on Long Island? Oh, the crowd on Long Island was amazing. Yeah, that was incredible. Kids were just kind of flying like, up on stage. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty wild. It was I, amazing to the point of danger. It was actually, very, it, was, it so. got very dangerous. Yeah, I got knocked around by a couple of the security guys because they were trying to get kids yeah, off the stage. Yeah, I, I was actually standing in front of Travis, and he looked down at us, and he told us that we were in trouble. And I just right then, I just knew that we all were gonna die eventually. Like this, <laughs> this is like I just was like, oh my god, it, it was crazy. I'm really happy you guys did it on Long Island. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, a really special show for us too. I mean to. That was actually the bar where we filmed the video for Favor House Atlantic, you know, eight years ago or something. So to be back there and playing with, you know, the diehard fans singing along was, was really special for all of us. Yeah, and I have bruises on my back. So yeah, most shows yeah. I have bruises somehow, and I'm yeah. the drummer. I don't even yeah. know how I got I, bruises. I mean, <laughs> but the my whole leg is fun. bruised. I really had, I'm, it's not a joke, I seriously have bruises. But well, I mean, you were going crazy. You were, we we were energy. having so much fun. You, that energy is contagious, and it was you guys in the crowd that really made it a special night. So, I mean, it's just as special for us, if not more. So thank you. Okay, stage right, far right corner. Um, obviously, you've done had the Never Ender series for the concert-wise, and we, with the 10-year anniversary of In Keeping Secrets coming up next year, I was wondering if there were any plans for a Never Ender for In Keeping Secrets, like you did for Second Stage. It's, it's certainly something I've been thinking about, but it's a little tough, because Afterman will come out in February, um, so I'm not sure how the support tour is going to be scheduled for that, but it's something I've definitely thought about. Um, because you know that's a, an important record in this band's history, and uh, it should be you know honored, I guess. Left fourth row. Are you, uh, Claudio? 
What does your daily hair routine consist of? Holy mackerels. I was like, fingers crossed. That's not going to happen at this thing. I love your hair, by the way. Uh, thank you. Um, well, you know, I don't really do anything to it. I use Pantene Pro-V. Um, I've seen them. Yeah, that's really the only thing that I can get a comb you know, through it. And I mean, if you share a room like we do on the road, I mean, these guys are kind of come after the war that I have with my hair in the shower. So there is all sorts of stuff like just on the walls and in the tub and on the know. ceiling. Yeah. Somehow <laughs> it's on the ceiling, stuffed up drain. Sometimes I like to leave presents on the, on the top of the spout. So in case it falls down, someone thinks it's a spider or I don't know. That's brilliant. <laughs> Sensor, third row. Um, I was just curious about the story for the Amory Wars, if you knew what was going to happen in each part of it, or if you just sort of wrote it as you guys um, made it. Well, for the original, uh, the Coheed story, I always thought when originally writing it was going to be a trilogy, that it was going to end with uh, In Keeping Secrets, and I was going to go back and tell the year of the Black Rainbow, the origins of Coheed and Cambria, and then... When I, when I wrote the record, I saw there was no definitive conclusion to the overall story arc. So that's why Good Apollo got broken up into two pieces, uh, Fear Through the Eyes of Madness and, and uh, uh, No World for Tomorrow. So that and that, with that, that way, I totally came up with a conclusion. But, uh, you know, for Afterman, I had no, no idea. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to tell a story in the Amory Wars, though I kind of felt like I was going to, just because I really like adapting these things to comics. I mean, it's just part of the natural evolution of the band and its songwriting that I just really enjoy, and I almost feel like I'd miss if it wasn't there. Um, but, uh, but no, not for Afterman. It wasn't until the songs were written that I kind of started to piece together what, what it would be conceptually. On your left, the row. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, what is your creative process when you're writing these songs? You know, I'm a guitarist and I, I like to write and uh, I find that I can't like sit down and it's usually like an inspiration thing. Uh, so what is the process for you and how, how do you manage to, you know, write, you know, such great songs? Uh. And so, so uh, like, what is the process like and how do you find inspiration for yourself and for the rest of the band? What is it like adapting the songs to a full band kind of uh, composition? Well, I mean, for me, when I start writing the songs, I usually have some sort of means of, of documenting it. Like, that's part of the writing process, you know. When I was a kid growing up, you know, I, I always had, like, a four-track. And I was always cataloging stuff and then, you know, tracking against it and just kind of building upon it. Um, that's really just it. I mean, always, I'm always inspired by life and the things that kind of happen. I mean, again, that's just the fuel of, to, the, to the fiction. So, um but that's just a part of the writing process. Usually I'll start with a guitar part, I'll track that, and I'll get kind of bored with just playing that over and over again, and I'll create a melody. Or if I find that starting on guitar is a little too, gets a little too bland, I'll find some sort of chance sound and create a loop out of that and sort of play against it. And so, yeah. And then you guys want to take on? Yeah, I mean, you know, Claudio, who's, you know, I clearly the main songwriter in Coheed and uh, brings us songs and, you know, we kind of flesh them out. And I think, you know, it, it's worth mentioning too. We have friends in other bands and I've played in some other bands and stuff. And, uh, you know, most bands you have to have a leader and somebody that 
you know, is the songwriter. And, uh, you know, for us, that's Claudio. But more so than a lot of other people in other bands, not just because it's Coed and Cambria, Claudio lets you really explore your own kind of borders and push yourself and, and do things that are creative. I mean, Coed and Cambria is a creative band. And, um, I mean, for a drummer, it's, it's the perfect animal. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just, uh, you get to be creative, you get to be a part of these great songs, and certainly with this record, uh, like before when I said, you know, it was different than any other record we recorded, we were all there the whole time, throwing ideas around, hey man, right here, go, you know, just, and having fun, which is the lifeblood, I think, of any band, you know, and we had a lot of fun making this record, and I mean, it, it got, I don't want to speak out of line or say anything, I'm not supposed to, but you know, it got to the point where, you know, years ago when, you know, obviously, clearly there were troubles going on with, with some of the guys in the band, myself, obviously, uh, and I can only speak for myself, but you know, it got to the point where you'd do the drums and then you'd kind of take off and leave, and it, it wasn't your best friends making a record anymore, and it, and it went right back to that on this record, and I think I can hear that in the songs, like somehow that goes into the tape and then into Pro Tools and it makes its way on that record. And that's one of the reasons I'm really proud of this record. So, And, you know, also like on Dissension, there's a lot of songs that Travis actually helped really contribute. Really great songs where, you know, in the studio he'd be working on a riff and I would find like a really interesting quality in that and then take it home to the, you know, to the to the hotel that we were staying in and work on it and arrange it and then come back and then we would just, you know what, let's drop, let's put the drums back up and let's get in there and, and, uh, and track this because this, this song has an energy and it let's, you know, let's really kind of work that. Yeah, there's literally a song. We were going into the studio to work on something and Travis was off in the kitchen playing something and we literally stopped everything we were doing and recorded that song. It's called Dark Side of Me. And it's on Descension. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And I can add that when that happens and dudes, especially Claudio, gets excited about something like that, it makes my world. So, <laughs> Because I've, I've, I've been, had the uh, honor of, of contributing to the things that he's written for so many years. So, you know, if he finds something interesting in what I'm doing or it's something that I'm adding to a song that he does, for me personally, that that's what makes my world, and and being you know being able to play with these guys in general. Because yeah. It's, also, it's like I think friend. that speaks to the. Uh, you know, Claudio lets you be a musician and exactly. lets you live. I don't want to make him uncomfortable. I feel like it's a little, uh, but he does, and that that's what makes him a, a great leader. And uh, you know, I I'd, I'd follow this guy to the end of the world. So yeah, there's a vision that's there, obviously already that that he has and. And sometimes I've found with us throughout the years, like somehow I've kind of nailed it in a way to, to add to that. And uh, sometimes not. Sometimes, you know, we all need a push and that's how we help each other as a band. You know, I, like Josh was saying, we'll be in the studio and, and, you know, there's parts where even Josh would be standing there and he'd go, I could hear like a little there and you know or this that's or my that. specialty yeah, that's, actually that's, i call that i call Every that week. musical moron communication yeah. because none of us are schooled musicians really you know or anything i mean it's just like we just know how to kind of talk to each other and and zach stepped into that and and you know i think i don't think he speaks in musical moron terms the way that we do because i think he's and he is pretty schooled actually which, but um but at the same time he's able to communicate with us you know just on that level and it, and it works out amazing Final question. 
He's been raising his hand forever. <laughs> Will there ever be any comics for uh, No World for Tomorrow? Yes, I mean, right now, I think the, uh, in terms of Amory Wars, uh, I think we want to do, we want to redo Good Apollo 1, Fear the, the Eyes of Madness. So uh, once that's complete, we'll probably push into No World for Tomorrow and conclude it. So. Awesome. Thank you guys for amazing questions. Thank you guys. Thank you I was again try. to Claudio, Travis, Zach, and Josh for being here.